I think that was an important discovery for me. It was not about Fiona hiding you know, and maybe, maybe, but not always. Um, you know, it's like, it, this is me recalling this memory is real. Like, this is real to me what happened. And even if that recalling changes later, it's not any less truthful and any less real for that person. Everybody, welcome back to No Script, an unscripted conversation about theater's best scripts. I'm Jacob, and this is the point in the episode where we would usually have Jackson come in and say, he's Jackson. But if you've been a listener of No Script for more than just this season, you know that every season we are joined by a special guest, somebody who is not Jackson or I, to have a conversation about a script. We love to just have the variety of voices and perspectives to talk about great plays. And so today, it is not Jackson joining me on this conversation. Today, I am joined by Corey Hayes, who is a second-year MFA and acting graduate student at Northern Illinois University. Corey has worked with actors and directors from the West End to Broadway. Before graduate school, she professionally acted across the Midwest and Washington, with her most recent gig being a year-long touring contract with Taproot Theater in Seattle, which is an awesome regional theater if you don't know it. Her work covers everything from commercials to live theater. Corey is a graduate from Northwestern College, where Jackson and I both graduated from. She double majored in theater and marketing. She also studied classical acting at the London Academy of Music and Dramatic Art, where she met her now husband. She most recently played, and this is very relevant for today, Fiona in Lauren Yee's play In a Word at Northern Illinois University. Welcome, Corey. Yes. Hi, everybody. I'm so excited to be here. I'm really glad to have you on the podcast. As I mentioned when I was introducing you, we both went to Northwestern, which is just this tiny little liberal arts school in Northwest Iowa. But I don't believe we overlapped, or did we for like a semester that I just can't remember? No, I saw you in Macbeth. Um, Oh. Yes, yes. I was a prospective student, though. So, no, we never never overlapped. I I think you graduated the year before I came. So, yeah. Yeah, I, mean, I think that's I love right Northwestern, though. Yeah, yeah. It's a great, yeah, a great school in a great area of the country. I, I constantly rave about the quality of the theater training that I got there, which is just, frankly, yeah. not that typical from especially BA programs right. um, across the country. It's it's just really great. Um, so I, all I've really heard about you, Corey, is just the legend of your time at Northwestern. So it's great to be <laughs> yeah. able to have a conversation. And I don't yeah, think I'm anybody had excited. any doubt. Maybe you did, but I don't think anybody else did that you'd be in a graduate program very shortly after steady acting. And yeah, it's it's uh, uh, it's so funny. I never I never thought I I never thought I would uh, would be a professional actor. To be frank, um, but I think you're right. I think I had a I had a lot of people a lot of people rooting for me um, and kind of knew that this is what I was gonna do. So yeah, it's exciting. How has your time in graduate school been? I, 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 if I'm forgetting somebody, I apologize to you, but I don't think that I have had another graduate student mm. in theater in conversation on the podcast. We've had lots of different types of folks, including university folks, but I don't think I've ever had another graduate student. So that's an interesting, yeah. like, how is your graduate study going? Yeah, it's going really well. 
it's busy. It's busy, as you know. It's just, yeah. it's, yep. and it's like a dream, right? To be able to get to do what you love every single day and so intensely and just get to kind of study the the art form with people who also want to do the same thing. So that's a dream because like you're never in that environment ever, usually. So right. yeah. it's going really mm-hmm. well. I'm learning a lot. It's a Meisner-based program. So um, I had touched Meisner oh. before, um, um, but it's, I'm loving that technique. Um, I'm loving it. Well, I, I don't know if you know this. I'm sure you don't. In fact, there's no reason that you would. <laughs> I am a designated Meisner teacher through the Amazing. Meisner Institute. So, yeah, I, I studied okay. with uh, Scott Trost with a, a group of, it was really cool, a group of international acting teachers and directors. So I, we had folks from Belgium and from Poland wow. and from Russia, and we all came together and, and studied Meisner it's for, from a teacher lens. Yeah, that's so um, cool, though. Really wow. Cool. Wow. There's a lot of yeah, great was, stuff. You've done You've done some good repetition then, I'm sure. Oh, lots of repetition. Just did some yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> no, it never stops. Never stops. <laughs> you know, repetition but never quits in the mind. It's a helpful <laughs> tool, though. I mean, it's so helpful. We yeah. did a lot of repetition work for In a Word. I mean, it's – I just – yeah. I, yeah I well, In a Word basically is a repetition exercise. Yeah. Yes, it is. It is. Because the language is just so crazy. So, yeah. No, I'm loving it. I'm loving graduate school. Yeah. It's just, it's been a blast. Again, I'm so tired all the time. <laughs> yeah. um, well, I'm sure you, I'm sure you have a, a shared similar experience, but I just opened a show that I directed last week mm-hmm. and I just had my first production meeting for the next show this morning before we started recording this podcast. Yes. So that's just, that's the graduate student life. You just go it's, from one project to another and... Yeah, and you just and sort of sleep in between if you can. It's such a difference too from our undergrad, where we would do, you know, three or four shows a year, and we do four shows a semester. So it's just you know, right. bang, 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 bang. It's just on top of yep. the <laughs> the studies that we do from eight a.m. to six p.m. every day. So yeah, it's just wild. Yep. Well, your graduate study is, is relevant, and we've already mentioned the, the title of the play, but today we are here to discuss In a Word, which is a play by Lauren Yee. Um, I'll steal from my own context section later, which is to say that we discussed Lauren Yee's play The Great Leap, which mm. is a, a basket, sort of a storytelling basketball play. Um, uh, I think about five seasons ago on the podcast, and The Great Leap is one of the uh, one of my all-time, uh, maybe favorite is strong, but just like all-time most interesting scripts for it's yeah. like the weird, wild way that it tells stories. And so I, I don't know why I wasn't expecting that, but I, I stepped into In a Word and it was just like, oh, yeah, this is that again. It's just so all this wild, wild stuff going on. Yeah. It's- and so you're you're joining us because you played Fiona. I did, yeah. And it was a dream. It was my first it was my first role, actually, in my graduate studies. Um, and <laughs> as we talk about it, and if you read the script, you can imagine how much of a challenge that was as kind of the first the first thing to do. Um, but it was amazing. I mean, I, I'm so in love with the script. I, I've been in love with it since the first time I read it before I auditioned for the role. Um, I knew, like, immediately that I was like, please, please, please let me play Fiona because... Um, it's a good script. It's a good character. And I think the way that um, it tells a story is just beautiful and fascinating. Yeah. Just a- absolutely fascinating. 
and I had not come across this before. We we I can't remember if if I proposed it because you had been in here, if I just asked you to be a guest and you proposed it. Regardless, it was new to me upon preparing for the podcast. And like the first thing I did after finishing was like text everybody who you know has a similar taste to me in theater. And is like, have you read this script? It's yeah. so good, and yeah. it truly is uh, just a gem of a play. Everybody out there should check it out. I think it reads really well, which yep. is not always true of like highly theatrical drama, but reads spectacularly really well. well. And um, we'll discuss, I'm sure, more in detail here about how it how it works uh, out loud and embodied yeah. and live in front of people. Because uh, the the way that language works, I'm sure it was a trip to try it to was. memorize <laughs> and to try to get right every time. Yeah. Just crazy. Yeah, it was a, a, a trip is a good way to a good way to say that. I mean, it kind of felt like that in the theater too. Uh, theater too, you know. I mean, it's just this constant yeah. back and forth, and the audience. Um, as much as we tried to be very clear about what was going on, part of the point is like you don't really know what's going on and what's real. So yes. um, right. yeah, so it, <laughs> it's a it's a really fascinating play. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we will we'll have plenty of time to talk about it here shortly. First, we want to encourage everybody who hasn't yet to head on over to our Patreon page. It's patreon.com slash noscriptpodcast. All one word, no hyphens, no underscores. Patreon.com slash noscriptpodcast. That's where you can become a supporter of the show. We are very lucky to be virtually fully supported by our Patreon page. It is the only thing that makes this show possible to do. Uh, Jackson and I love to say how much we love to do the show. It's a great part of our lives, but it requires a huge investment of time and money to make work. And so without the folks supporting us on Patreon, it would not be possible, pure and simple. So if that's not you yet, check out the Patreon page. There's, of course, benefits to being a patron. I don't go into too much detail because you can check them out over there. And, and to me, the biggest benefit is knowing that this podcast, which hopefully you love, is only here because of you. So go check it out over there. There's tiers of all different money ranges, you know, monthly. The lowest tier is a dollar a month. We've had that as our on our Patreon page since the beginning, and we will not ever get rid of, as far as I know, the $1 a month level because even that much is hugely helpful to us, $12 over the course of the year. There's, of course, higher tiers if you can afford it. But head on over, check it out, at least consider it. If you are already one of those supporters, big thank you to you. This is the part of the show where we say... Whatever's about to happen couldn't happen if you weren't supporting us on Patreon. So big thank you for that. Check it out if you haven't. Patreon.com slash no script podcast. And now back to the script. Okay, so uh, we're going to do our regular context and synopsis. Corey is going to handle the synopsis section today. Yeah. Um, she probably has a much better handle on that than me anyway, having been in it. <laughs> um, so I'll just do a brief overview. We always like to say yeah. this is never going to encompass the whole life of the play. Y you know, please don't at us and say like, well, you forgot <laughs> this production and this year. I mean, we can't do them all. Um, so we're not even going to try. We're just hitting notable awards, notable productions. Um, mm -hmm. And I don't mean notable in a derogatory way to anybody that didn't get listed. This is just so that everybody has a sense of when this happened and what the cultural life around it has been. Uh, this play uh, began its sort of life in 2012 in Berkeley, California, with a reading there. Um, and then there were subsequently a couple more readings at notable places, including the Lincoln Center Theater um, in New York City. It uh, had its world premiere 
in 2015. Um, it, it, it was produced at the Cleveland Public Theater, although the world premiere was at the San Francisco Playhouse. There are some great reviews. Both of those happened in 2015, so very subsequently had regional theater life. The San Francisco Playhouse production was very well lauded. You can look up a bunch of stuff about it. Um, very cool. And then, you know, it was sort of produced in regional theaters around the country and around the world. Uh, places like the Hub Theater in Virginia, the Straw Dog Theater Company in Chicago. Straw Dog's awesome, if you haven't heard of them. Uh, the Chance Theater in Anaheim, Lesser America Theater in New York City, and then the Young Vic, which of that list is one of the bigger theaters that has done the play. The yeah. Young Vic in London um, uh, did it in 2019. And it has continued to have life over there. It's actually very popular for graduate acting programs, as Corey is in to do, because of the robust acting challenge. Um, It was a New York Times critic pick. It won the 2011 KCACTF uh, Gene Kennedy Smith Playwriting Award. It won the 2011 KCACTF Paul Stephen Lim Asian American Playwriting Award. Uh, it won the 2011 NETC John Gassner Playwriting Competition. It was a finalist at the Sundance Theater Lab. It was a nominee for the Susan Smith Blackburn. Uh, the, it was a finalist for the Steinberg Award. Uh, it was a winner of the Francesca Primus Prize Award. So this play has been really well lauded um, and, and celebrated and has had some, some really cool productions across the course of its life. We don't do a full context on Lauren Yee because we've done a play by her before, but I'm sure I said this the last time, too. It is worth noting that Lauren Yee gets a lot of productions of her shows. In the 2019-20 theater season, just before the pandemic, she was the second most produced playwright in America, according to the American Theater Magazine. So she is up there with the likes of your Annie Bakers, with the likes of your Lauren Gundersons in terms of the number of productions. Her shows are hugely varied. This play is nothing like The Great Leap, the basketball play, uh, other than its representation of the theatrical imagination. Right. Um, that's kind of the thing that I study, Corey, in, in graduate school, uh, amongst all the things that you study as a director. My specialty is in kind of theater imagination. How mm-hmm. does something that happens live on stage, how is that different than a screenplay? Why is it a mm-hmm. different experience than seeing a movie or going to a dance concert? And Lauren Yee is uh, perhaps one of the greatest at using that experience. This yeah. this play, I just can't even imagine it as a movie. It's not that. It is a, it is a you stand in the room with me and I'll tell you this story kind of experience. Yeah. And that is what Lauren Yee does when we, yeah. when we discuss The Great Leap. It was very much that way, too. Yeah, she said that in multiple interviews as well um, about how she loves what theater can do and the theatricality. And it's, I I just, I'm not super familiar with, I've touched some of her other plays, but they all kind of feel that way, which is really cool. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I love that about her. So. Yeah, I, I always like to ask uh, when I'm in design meetings, what are we going to do to make this not a movie? Correct. I just To me, it's like theater that's just, you might as well film it and then watch it back on your couch. Yep. It, is that, that's, that's the theater that's, to me, other people are going to disagree with me, but to me, that's the theater that's killing theater. And the stuff yeah. that's like, I could only have that experience if I go sit in this room 100%. And that you can't have it sitting on your home and couch or sitting on your couch at home is just it's it's the lifeblood of what we do, especially yeah. because 
for so long of its history, fil- of theater's history, rather, film didn't exist. And I, I sometimes I feel like like since the advent of cinema, and especially since cinema's gotten really good, you know, right. in the in the 90s and the aughts and, and the teens, and now we're into, the, like, cinema's as good as it's ever been. Like, we as theater artists have to say, like, what of, of all the stuff that we hold dear, what of it do we have to sort of say, you know what, film actually does do that better than us and yes. choose something else. Choose yes. the stuff that we do best so that we can continue to have this. 100%. No, you can't have you can't have the experience of in a word on. I mean, you read it and <laughs> you know that there's no way that this can be done well in film. I mean, we even talked about, oh, should we record the play, you know, so we can have it for our archives. And my my two directors were like, there's no point. You know, there's no point at trying to record this because it will not capture it. Um, so we took photos instead so that we can live it in our memory. Yeah. Um, but there's there's just no. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I think we we have to do that in theater. And I think it's more interesting because that otherwise, course, yeah, yes. we would just especially with COVID. Right. I mean, we're seeing people not return to the theater at all. And why is that? Because people can turn on their TV. So I, th- I, for me, the, the answer, as you were saying, is we have to do what theater does the best. And, and that's the highly theatrical. Um, so yeah, that, I, I, I love this play for that, that reason. Yeah. 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 Well, let's set up for uh, folks who don't know it, at least, just kind of the basic premise of the story. Anything else you'd like to tell us about it? Yeah, absolutely. I I actually, I'm going to read what my co-directors wrote for the synopsis, and then I can kind of tag on that. But I think it it sums it up really well, and I know they worked really hard on the synopsis, so I'll I'll read it. Today is the two-year anniversary of the disappearance of Tristan, the seven-year-old adopted son of Fiona Hamlin and Guy. Today also happens to be Fiona's birthday. Through the course of one evening, Fiona and Guy wrestle with the aftermath of Tristan's disappearance and the circumstances surrounding what really happened that fateful day when Picture Day went tragically awry. In this tragic comedy, playwright Lauren Yee weaves the intricacies of language, grief, humor, and truth in her absorbing examination of what it means to lose a relationship and what it takes to reconnect. So if I had to sum it up in maybe a sentence, it's, you know, it's a play about a couple examining the disappearance of their son. Um, it's, it's two years later, and technically, even though the play goes through memory and maybe in and out of reality, it's technically one evening um, over the course of the whole play, which is... Yeah, I think the first time I read it, I did not read it that way. Um, but that, it's really a full, you go from the beginning of the evening to the end of the evening with just Fiona and Guy. It's kind of a bookend. Yeah. So this will be interesting because I, I come at things from a directorial point of view and you from an acting point of view. Yeah. One of the things that directors think about, and and, and tell me if this echoes your experience, is like, mm-hmm. why are we watching this play today? Yeah. You know, Fiona and Guy lost their son two years ago. And right. since then, there have been, you know, what is it, 720, 730 days or whatever. So what? why is the play set, as you describe, over one evening today? Yeah, I think, 
what my directors aimed to be a major theme that we that we focused on um, among others was this reconnection um the exploration of a relationship you know the relationship with Fiona and her son and Fiona and Guy and what it looks like to reconnect through trauma and grief and in terms of like why are we doing this play now i think we've all been through a lot of a lot of grief and disconnect um in the last 3 4 years and um I just think this play examines what it what it looks like to potentially reconnect through that. Because um, the play doesn't end, you know, the play doesn't end with Fiona and Guy being like, we're totally fine. I mean, it's a very ambiguous right. ending. It's super, I mean, I think the last line is like, what do you think? And Fiona says, it's okay. It'll all be okay. Yeah. Or something like that. Um it's not like, oh, like we our relationship went through this trauma and we went through this grief and now it's all okay and it's fine. But it's at least a step towards reconnection. I, I at least that's how we how we did it. So, um, yeah, and I think that's very relevant to today. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and it's there's something really interesting to me about this being the night of the reconnection, right? That, yes. That of all the different days of Fiona and Guy's life that we could see, we see this moment where potentially, right, everything on this night could fall apart for them. Correct. Or not fall apart for them. And there's so much setting it up to be that way. Yeah. And, and one of them is that Guy mentions, um, this is maybe a third of the way through the play, that they had made an agreement soon after losing Tristan yep. that it was going to take two years and that they were going to take two years of things being tough to to get the space that they needed to and and it's always hard when you talk about these plays about losing a kid to say things like to move on to grow to move past it because it sounds sort of callous in context of losing a child but you're talking about over the course of years yes, learning and, you know learning to be able to step forward in your life and that's what guy wants to be to right. be honest i mean he wants to move on um and we talked about that a lot you know that's i think that's the whole the whole play is Fiona can't, she, she can't move past it. And even though, you know, they agreed to give it two years for her to stop looking, you know, it says that, you know, Fiona has made it her full time. She has not worked in two years. It's her full time job to look for her, her missing son. And they agreed in two years, we are going to, you're going to stop. And, and I really do think for Guy, it's like, we need to find, we need to, we need to talk about this. We need to move on because that's a huge thing too throughout this play is Fiona has not talked to Guy about what actually happened in two years. She hasn't talked about it at all. And that's kind the, of... The even, story that Fiona tells... Yes. Guy tells us very early, it's actually one of weirdly my subtly favorite scenes in the play, is when Guy walks through the story that Fiona has told to other people, to Correct. newspaper journalists and detectives. Um, and, and of course, in, in the way that she's playing with language, you get all that in there. But it's it is a, it's a different story than the one that Fiona is able to tell at the end. Correct. And, you know, a guy's implying as well as, you, you know, yeah, Fiona's been telling 
a different version of the story to all these other people but him. She's never been able to say anything. And there's that scene where, you know, Guy says, you came home and said nothing to me. And um, I don't think Fiona really has ever directly to Guy ever said a version of the story. And so when you finally get to the end and she finally is having this conversation with Guy about, again, maybe sort of closer to the truth. I, I Who knows if it's the full truth, but that she at least at the end is finally saying something to Guy about what happened that day. And, and that there is the point of maybe reconnection. Um, if I don't, yeah, yeah. And there's, there's a lot of negotiation too around the picture from school picture day and the, you know, the, the nature of what that picture is. And so there's some great prop stuff there, but one of the, um, to me, one of the great subtle word negotiations, this plays all about word negotiations. Well, we can talk about that more, but it's in this moment where they're talking about, this is very near the end of the play. Fiona and Guy are talking about what happened on the night Fiona came home without Tristan. And they've, they've told this story before, maybe even two or three times at this point in the play. There's a lot of repetition where she comes home and, and Guy says nothing and then okay. And then he says – he has this line, but there's something you want to tell me though, right? And then towards the end of the play, Fiona sort of opens up about why that ended up being the thing that shut her down. Right. And it's such a great study in subtext. I, I, I'm definitely going to use <laughs> yeah. it with actors as I teach them because there's nothing in the lines that tell you what her objection to that thing that Guy said two years ago is. It yeah. just She just repeats the quote and somehow Guy gets now because he immediately goes, that's not what I meant. Correct. But, but he, I mean, that's what he said, and they've said it a bunch of times in the play. So something about the way that Fiona communicates that line that he said two years ago is a big turning point in their relationship. This yeah. connection of when you said these words, this is what I heard. Right. Yeah. And, you know, that happens to us all the time, too, right? Like our partner says something and it hits us in a way that, you know, we take really personally, even though that might not have been their intention. But I think, too, Fiona, that, you know, that she just lost her son. This is what her husband says to her. And in the trauma and in the grief, she took it this way and she held on to it for two years, which is wild, right? Because for most people that, you know, it would immediately be an argument or it would come up, you know, when someone doesn't wash the dishes the next day, you know, that, that would come up. But for her, she, she held on to that, you know, she held on to this feeling of guy, the way that you said this made it seem like it was my fault and that there was something else that I could have done. Um, and yeah, I mean, and it's beautiful subtext, right? I mean, yeah, it's, it's, um, Again, this script is literally an actor's dream. It's just so, so fun to play with. And there are so many, so many directions you can do go with on this play as well. But the subtext is just superb. 
Yeah. And it, it's so crucial to this play is the actor's job of figuring out what's being said behind what's being said. Because yeah. this play, and I want to read from Lauren Yee's uh, note at the beginning of the yeah. script, this play involves a lot of repetition. So she says in an author's note, I object to the word author, Lauren Yee. I'm sorry. You're a I, playwright, not an author. But hey, <laughs> that's just me being picky. In this play, objects have a life of their own. Objects come up again, whether you want them to or not. And then here's the crucial part. Words also come up again. And sometimes the characters realize this or not. Repetition of symbols, the word jar, the tree of uh, the tree of absence that becomes a tree of abstinence. Yeah. The uh, that the symbols, props, repetition happens all the time. But so does the repetition of words and scenes over and over again, but each time meaning something new in context of the present. They do, yeah. And I think something that we discovered as well, a, a huge theme in this play is also memory and how memory might be real to a person, but it might not be, quote, what actually happened and how memory also yes. dissolves and changes over time. Um, you know, you might remember something that that you forgot um, before. And so... We really played on that of, you know, the, yeah, the same scenes happen so many times, especially picture day that, you know, the day that Tristan disappeared, that happens three or four times. Um, there's just there's so many uh, when when Fiona gets fired, that that happens multiple times. Um, and we really played with why is it different the next time that this is told again? Why is it different? And um and we really, really used it as, you know, Fiona is maybe, maybe she's edging towards more of the truth as the play goes along. Truth, right? Yeah. Whatever right. What, that I put up air quotes. <laughs> truth. And yeah. I, I, to me, it's maybe not. It doesn't matter so much like what's true. Yeah. But she's edging towards being able to admit what she Correct. actually thinks. Right. Correct. Rather than like blockade it with this. Yeah. Uh, the, the sort of shame that she has filled and that grief. story with. And grief yeah. too, right? Because grief, we did a really, uh, we talked a lot about trauma and grief and we actually had someone come in and do a little bit of a, a masterclass with us about how that looks in the body. Um, mm. Because that's a lot about what the play is about, um, is about how grief and trauma also affects memory. And affects um, relationships mm -hmm. and how much you can actually communicate, how it affects communication as well with people. And that's a lot of what it is, too, is, um, you know, Fiona's incapable of communicating what actually happened or even maybe her memory isn't fully there because of the trauma right. and the grief. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm going to get this citation really, really wrong. So I but I, I think that I think it was on the podcast Science Versus. But regardless, uh, I, I was listening at some point about this study that people did on memory. And the gist of it was that they asked people what happened to them on the day of 9-11, mm. like a week or two after it happened, very quickly afterwards. And then they followed up with those people years later and asked them what happened to them on the day of 9-11. And their stories about what happened to them on that day were completely different. They told a totally different story. And oftentimes when they would play back to that person, what they said only days or weeks afterwards, that person would be like, that can't be me. That's not what happened yeah. to me. I remember what happened to me and that's not it. Yeah. And it was just this 
great uh, sort of uh, study or, or deep dive into how unreliable our memories are. Yes. Even when they're like crucial, like the day of 9-11 is a yes. hugely, if you were, you know, alive and old enough to remember it, a hugely important day in your memory. Yeah. But even for that day, people, years later, what they think happened to them is not at all the same as what right. actually happened to them. And that, but, and also that's not any less real to them, both of the times they right. told it. I think that was an important discovery for me. It was not about, Fiona hiding, you know, and maybe, maybe, but not always. Um, you know, it's like it, this is me recalling this memory is real. Like this is real to me what happened. And even if that recalling changes later, it's not any less truthful and any less real for that person. Yes, right. And it, it's not something, you know, it's as a sort of acting wise, it just doesn't, it's not very active to play. Uh, I know that I'm lying in this moment, right? Right. Instead, that like this, this is my truth right now. And you can think, you know, you can do the couch or the armchair therapist rather and figure out, well, why? Why yeah. is it? But, but what's important to the character live in the moment. And right. this, this play is all about what is true to people right now, now. in this moment. Yes. And you exactly. have to be willing to play that. Yeah. Oh, 100%. You, I mean, you have to be playing what's there. <laughs> and that's a huge, again, yeah. also why this is a great Meisner play. It's like, that's exactly what this is, is what is the relationship in the moment? What's happening in the moment? And what, yeah, what, what is, what is really there right now? Um, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Well, we, so we, we've talked a lot about this play, you know, the, the grief and the trauma and the memory, which makes it sound quite a bit heavier than <laughs> yeah. Laura Nee has really written it. It's, a, it's truly a very, very playful play. Um, there is this feature of the play, which is that it's it's three actors. There's mm -hmm. a, an actor that plays Guy, Fiona's husband, and then there's the actor that was you that plays Fiona. And then there's a third actor yeah. that plays... The kidnapper or the maybe kidnapper. Yep. The detective, Tristan the son, the principal, Andy, guy's best friend, a client, a photographer, a random police officer. Yep. All of these different characters. And in that character, I think Lauren Yee is just doing some amazing layering where that character you see at different points in the play is really playing multiple people at once. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, yeah, the character, I think, is called Man. I think that's what she's mm -hmm. titled him. Um, yeah, the actor that played that for... I mean, that's also a dream role because it's just... It is so yeah. dynamic and fun and and funny a lot of the time. Um, and and we, we tried to... We, you know, tried to think a lot about what is this character... <laughs> Like what, yeah. why does this character exist? And, and for us, you know, we thought a lot about like, maybe in Fiona's mind, this person is all the same person, mm -hmm. you know, maybe there's just like a melding again, this idea of memory melding, but maybe this person in her brain is all the same. The same types of mm -hmm. themes, the same type of, you know, maybe man is, you know, a, the personification of, of grief and loss. And that's why she is, she is cast in her brain, the same person for all of these, all of these, all of these characters. Um, 
yeah, that, that character is so interesting. And we had a lot of conversations about, about that character, but it's, it's so, it's so funny because they, you know, they go from this, you know, this detective, which again, if if we're, if we're thinking about it as this detective through Fiona's lens, we're, we're having that this detective is horrible at his job and rude and, um, and funny. And if, if that's how Fiona is remembering the memory, like that's, that's another look into how she views this person. And so we try to kind of do that sometimes with, with all of those characters that he plays. Um, and a lot of them are just kind of idiots. I mean, but the principal is also yeah. just kind of a, a like <laughs> terrible at his job. And, um, yeah, that I, I love that man character and, um, it's it's really interesting too if you think about why why Lauren Yi made that character play all of the different characters. Like why didn't she just cast different people as as all of them? Mm-hmm. And it, you know, again, three people is easier to cast than ten. Um, so that might be sure. a reason. But we tried to really think about why is this one person playing all of these different people? Yeah. Yeah, there, there's some just great setups for that early in the play, and then they really pay off later. I'm thinking of when I, I think the first character the man plays is this person that, that Fiona believes is the kidnapper that she meets yeah. at the grocery store yep. with the cantaloupe. And then Fiona kind of turns around and takes that cantaloupe to this detective. And, of course, it's played by the same person. And there's right. a great exchange where Fiona is describing the person that she met at the grocery store, which, of course, is just the same person yeah, as the detective. So funny. And eventually yeah. the detective says, oh, so you're talking about me. Yeah. And Fiona's of course like, no, 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 no. But the audience, there is some dramatic irony. There's some kind of meta theater layering of the audience knowing yeah. actually it is him. And, and uh, Lauren Yee gives a note that uh, the, the description of this person should just be changed to match the actual actor. So Correct. it is very much a, sort of a recognition of the double casting early. And then it becomes like that little exchange to me becomes so profound and uh, one of the more painful scenes in the play to me when the detective is doubling with Tristan in that strange scene where he brings the stuff over to say that the case is closed and then in the questions that he asks Fiona sort of becomes Tristan and gives Fiona a chance to talk to an adult Tristan. Right. It's beautiful. I mean, it's really beautiful and heartbreaking, too, because that also is like, oh, Fiona is looking for Tristan and everyone, you know, because she spent the last two years looking. She's been looking and looking and looking. And for that moment, yeah, she sees she sees Tristan and she's able to apologize to Tristan. And um, it's it's a heartbreaking. I mean, that scene is like uh, it's heartbreaking. Um yeah, and I think Lauren Yee does a really good job at that, the the melding in the moments where you, you know, see the characters longing for something else, um, which is, yeah. is really cool. Yeah, and, and she does it herself later when she sort yeah. of doubles as the police officer at the scene yep. in her own memory. And and there's, there's just so much cool stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. there's a really cool moment, too, um, where Guy is talking to his friend Andy, 
and you know guy they have this conversation about like you need to move on you need to move on like here's a divorce divorce lawyer's you know card i have somebody you can call so that you can have sex with her because you haven't had sex in two years and he guy calls up this woman and it's it's fiona being being a different woman and but it goes in and out of fiona being a different woman that guy's calling to fiona and it's it that scene is really beautiful too for that reason because guy also in that moment is really looking for his wife right he's that's that's who he's looking for even though he's calling this other woman and so i think that's another instant instance of that where a, a character is looking for somebody else in another person that they're interacting with. And Lauren E. just kind of melds them together. I, yeah, and I, I think that's such an interesting scene. Correct me if I'm wrong, you know the play much better than me, but I think that is the only scene, the Guy-Andy scene, that's not directly, where Fiona is not directly a character in the yeah. action of that scene. And I have to admit a little bit of confusion, actually, every time that I read it, that because you've mentioned already in our conversation that the play, the world of the play, this theatrical world uh, where people are playing the same people or with different faces and they've got the dirty laundry and the word jar, all these highly metaphorical memory stuff. It's it's Fiona's memory. It's Fiona's lens of the world. And that is what the story of all this theatricality is telling is sort of a view of the world in with all these things that she's carrying. And yeah. then in the middle of that, you get this scene with Guy and Andy <laughs> where yeah. she's not even there. Correct. And, and so I, I've always wondered about that. Like it, in your production, <laughs> did you talk about or did you think about like, yeah, is that scene Fiona's imagination? Yeah, we did. We, we talked at length about it because there's also a section where Guy starts talking to the audience. I don't, if you remember that, mm-hmm. he starts addressing the right, audience. Well, right away, he yes. talks, talks about Fiona's story. Yeah. Yes, and then I'm like, you know, I, I oh man, I haven't played this role in a while. Fiona, um, you know, is like, this is my story, guy, like, stop talking. Um, so yeah, we did, <laughs> we did talk about that. One possibility we did play with is that this is what Fiona imagined all of the conversations that Guy would have with his friend Andy. Because it's very clear that Fiona does not like Guy's best friend Andy at all. It absolutely despises him. He has a potty mouth. He's, you know, horrible. And so we played with that. Um, We also played with when, when does Guy, when does it switch to Guy's lens? Does that ever happen? Um, I personally landed on, I think that this is what Fiona imagines um, the conversation to be. Um, But then you also have to deal with the fact that um, at the beginning of the play, one of the huge things is that she can't find this white box with all of Tristan's old pictures in it. And you find out in that scene between Guy and Andy that, Andy actually took the box and dropped it off at a Goodwill. So if this was in Fiona's imagination, she would have known where the box is. So you have to deal with that kind of conflict. So, um, yeah, it is a little confusing. It's a little confusing. And I think there is the possibility that maybe there are moments, like when Guy starts addressing the audience, that Guy Guy's lens comes on, you know, and he he yeah. he tries to tries to 
share his perspective because you also have this really beautiful monologue at the end that guy has where he's on the phone uh it's his voicemail and he's like i'm sorry i'm not here right now i'm not the man you want me to be i'm not you know and he he has kind of this inner monologue of all the things that he thinks he can't be for his wife so that too while that could be a fiona lens i also think that that could be a moment where guy's lens and guy's perspective can come through so i don't think i think there is a possibility of that and i think that would most easily explain the scene yeah. but it is kind of weird <laughs> it's it's the well, only yeah, it's, moment it's a strange thing is as you said that you learn new information and information that fiona didn't necessarily have access to right uh, in reviewing the scene where guy brings the box back uh, he actually doesn't say that Andy lost the box. So on the Correct. one hand, that makes that more challenging. On the other hand, you may be able to, and this is not, this is maybe us thinking beyond what Lauren Yee wrote, but you may <laughs> be able to say Fiona actually just made that up, right. that Andy was the one who lost the white box. Because actually, Guy's lines, now, you know, he's just taking responsibility, which is great, but Guy's lines are pretty clear that he's the one who lost the box. Correct. So maybe yeah. this is... Fiona's sort of in the way that this play deals with how our memories revise themselves to Correct. fit narratives over the course Absolutely. of time. If the narrative is Andy is an ass yes. and he ruins <laughs> our life, then yeah. the revisionist memory might be, oh, yeah, Andy lost that box. Yeah. And maybe that wasn't true ever. Yeah. And that is just an imagination. In your staging, were, was that actually a scene where you were off stage? It was. Yeah. Yeah. It was the only only moment that I really was off stage. There's a moment to uh, towards the beginning where Guy and Tristan have a conversation about an espresso and I'm off stage for that moment, too. But those are the only two times that that I was off stage. And <laughs> thank God there was one there was one night where I had to pee the entire time. And, <laughs> you know, and when you read this play, I am on stage the and pretty much the entire yes. time, except for the scene. And I even come in in the middle as, you know, as Fiona slash the girl that he's calling. But I, oh man, I booked it out of the theater that one time um, and had to, had to pee for like, in like one minute. Um, but yeah, yeah. It, it was, it was, it was off stage. Yeah. But it was, again, that was one of two moments that I was. Yeah. Just wild. Yeah. Again, that's also wild. Like, uh, you know, to, to just think about it, it's like, why were those the moments that, Lauren Yee decided that Fiona is not a part of this because th there's that scene too yeah. where where um yes where yeah, guy the espresso scene you're right that we forgot about that one yeah yeah where guy doesn't want guys just trying to relax you know in the backyard and Tristan is is bothering him and you know guy has his little espresso and and Tristan's like I want it I want it I want it and eventually guy gives him the espresso and then that becomes a huge point of conflict in the next scene um because it makes Tristan react badly. Um, but yeah, that's, there's that, that short scene as well, but that's not very long either. That's about a page. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I mean, even at the basic level, there are, you know, of the three characters, the three, well, maybe I'll say it this way. There are three roles. There yeah. is Fiona who's named. There's the man. So that's an unnamed. Now he plays lots of named characters, but the role is unnamed. And then there's Guy. Guy. And this is Lauren Yee being quite clever, right? Because Guy yeah. is a lot like man, Correct. but it, it is also an actual name. There are people named Guy. Yep. And so I'm interested in what you all thought about that. Is that his actual name? 
It's also interesting because he's not listed as Guy Hamlin, which is, it's Fiona Hamlin. That's our last name. He's not listed as that either, you know? Um, (laughs) We we viewed it as not a name, but as a an inserted thing to generalize uh, him. Um, and again, I think that just, again, I think it's Lorne being very clever and also just reinstating that it's not really about guy and man. Like, this is the lens of this mother. And and this is the lens of this mother and, and the what she's dealing with with Guy, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I think I think because he's not given a last name <laughs> that I, I really do think that that maybe maybe she did that on purpose. But who knows? I mean, I, I don't know. <laughs> no, I, I mean, that's as good a clue as any, really. Um, and, yeah. and maybe that lends itself to the Andy guy scene being a Fiona invention or, or imagining because yeah. Andy calls him guy. That's the one scene where he's referenced. Um, well, maybe not, I guess. Fiona yeah. And I, I call him guy. I don't know. That's a tough. Yeah, one. I know. Yeah. It's really tough. I know. And, and so then, yeah, why would she not? Cause she has a name for Tristan, even though that's played by man. Right. So yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe his name is Guy, but I think it's just honestly clever to to just I think just um, reaffirm maybe to the, even the audience because I think I say Guy in the first scene. I'm pretty sure. Yep. Um, just to reinstate to the audience that this is a guy. <laughs> this is a guy, and then you have Fiona. Um, and I think it just gives a hint to the audience, like, this is, we are jumping into the world of Fiona and into her memory and into her lens. Yeah. And what do you think that Lauren Yee is saying about Fiona's lens then? Mm. Because Guy is not just a guy. That's just not the case, right? He's He's her husband for a long time. They've been through a lot together. I mean, one of the undersold points of the story is that Tristan is not their biological child. He was a child that they adopted because they had been trying for years to have a baby themselves. So, I mean, this is a couple that's been through a lot together. This is her husband. So, What is I don't know. What is Lauren Yee saying about Fiona's perspective? Yeah. If her husband is just named Guy. I think too, I think at this point, at this point in which we're viewing Fiona, she has a very complicated relationship with her husband. We have one really lovely, beautiful memory of the past when um, they bring Tristan home and, and they, they, you know, and they even argue about adopting Tristan a little bit. But we played, we played that very much like that's where the, like let's show the love of the relationship and, and that it was, was not that there isn't love now, but uh, you know, the, the young couple who, who's about to adopt a son and you have that memory. But the rest of the memories that, that Fiona shares with Guy are, are complicated and um a lot of them are arguments and a lot of them she blames guy for things you know she 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 places fiona places a lot of blame on i think a lot of blame on guy for their relationship for how they parent tristan and how um 
and how guys even dealt with Fiona after the disappearance. Um, and I, I think that's why. Not that, not that, he is definitely not just guy to Fiona, but I think at the point in which we're viewing this play, Fiona has a very, I don't know, like fuzzy lens of, of who Guy was and what he is to her now. Um, and so maybe at this present moment, he is just a guy. Yeah. I mean, they, they, for all functional reality, it seems, we don't get a lot of packing kind of information, you know, a lot more given circumstances. But yeah. for all intents and purposes, they're, they're, they live together, yeah. but they're not otherwise no. much of a married couple at all. I mean, apparently and they don't eat any meals together. No, and Tristan mentions in one of his lines how Fiona always sleeps on the couch. That yes. was a oh, huge, yeah. a huge circle for me in my script of like, they're yeah. not, even when Tristan was alive or had, you know, who knows if he's actually dead, but when Tristan was there in the home, he mentions how mommy always sleeps on the couch. So for, for all the young actors out there, Corey has just demonstrated to you uh, one of the great things that you must be doing when you take on a role, which is not just reading the character description at the beginning, but going through the script and finding all the other stuff that the other characters say about your character. Some 100%. of them are probably going to be true. Some of them are almost all going to be lies that other right. characters think about your character. But that is a fantastic clue, not in the character description, about the life of this marriage and this person. Mm -hmm. Which, you know, you have to go hunt down because it's said right. by a different character. Right. And a huge, which something we also haven't talked about is Tristan is neurodivergent somehow. You know, he, it's talked right. about yep. how Fiona doesn't want to put him in the special needs, the special ed class. So there's also that factor in this play as well, and how that has also been a point of conflict with Fiona and Guy. They constantly argue about how to parent. Tristan um, and Fiona, again, not Fiona is not at all faultless in this. Fiona refuses to acknowledge that Tristan needs help, or that he he needs to go in a special ed class, and she is constantly pushing Guy against that idea that there's anything quote wrong with Tristan. And again, yeah, it, it's it's it. it this is a whole nother, you know, there's so many points to this character that, that as an actor are challenging, but we also had to do extensive research. Like, what is it like to be a parent of a child that is neurodivergent? And what does that look like? And how, how do you, and there's so many different ways that, that parents have to, have to go about that. Um, so that's another point of, of a, hu a huge also thing that the characters go through in this play. Yeah, I, just to return to the name guy briefly, I I, yeah, absolutely. I I confess that this may not be totally true because I, I'm just skimming. But to me, as quickly as I can tell from yeah. scanning, the first time that Fiona calls Guy Guy is after she's described the story of the kidnapper with the cantaloupe, and Guy says, I think you imagined it, and she calls him Guy. Guy. I don't know if, you, know if we have the same copy of the script or not. but Yeah. Yeah. Um, so here's here I have a proposition for you that yeah. it may be the the fact that guy is named guy is the problem of the play. Mm. It tells you that the problem of this relationship is that he's just become another guy, another man right. who dismisses 
her the things that she feels are valuable and important right. and who another person and just another stranger who she has a yeah. tough time telling or, you're, or, you know, living out that real reality with. Yeah. And that 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 is Lauren Yee's way of saying, look at. That's that is the inciting incident in one way or another, you know, yeah. is that now it's an inciting incident that happened before the action of the play. Of course, it didn't just start today. But at some point he stopped being Joey or or right. Dalton or whatever his real name was. And he started just being Guy. And yeah. that is the problem that this play that Fiona is on a journey in this play to begin solving. And yes. if you read the script from that lens, then the final family portrait Right is a resolution to that. Yes. He's no longer just a guy. Just He's a guy. her husband and the father of her child. Yeah, I like what you said about a stranger. Um, I I really resonate with that because there's also in the in the Andy guy scene, which again we you know could could think about. I mean, it even Andy part. has a name. That's yes. just crazy. Andy has a name. <laughs> yes, and in that scene, guy said, "Guy said this is another example of." Uh, circling things that other characters have said about you. But Guy says, she never cries in front of me. You know, she never she never shares anything with me. She doesn't talk to me. I mean, uh, Guy blatantly says she doesn't talk to me and she doesn't she doesn't cry in front of me. I wonder I wonder if Fiona would agree with that. You know, that's yeah. just my directorial brain sort of saying, I wonder yeah. if you got her in the room, would she say that's true or not? I don't know. Right, right. And I, I personally played that as true. Um, that was a decision like me and my directors made together. Um, and I think that further highlights how much of a stranger she views Guy as, right? Because you wouldn't, you wouldn't cry in front of a stranger. You know, you wouldn't talk about a kidnapping stranger. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's really no intimacy in this marriage at the beginning of the play at all. I mean, obviously we know that there's not physical intimacy, but there's also no real emotional intimacy between them or even the intimacy of shared life. The the scene where she says, I do eat meals. And he says, in your car. Right. You know, that to me, that is like a, a, a understated heartbreaking moment of the play. It's like, oh, they don't, I mean, and, and the whole premise of this special evening, right, yes. is that he set it up for them to go out and have dinner together, to have, have this intimate evening together. Right, which they haven't had in two years. And I would imagine yeah. even more than two years. But yeah, that's the whole, that's yeah, how that's the whole place, uh, yeah, that's how the whole place starts. As we, I just want to go to dinner. Can we just have, can we just go to dinner? I mean, guy says that multiple times. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there, there's so much more that we could talk about. We didn't talk about the word jar or the dirty yeah, laundry, which is hilarious, yeah. or the tree of absence. All the, I mean, there's so much in this play. You got to read it if you haven't. Check it out. Just It was incredible, incredible script. I'd love to work on it sometime. Thank yeah. you, Corey, for being willing Thank to join you. us and talk with us about it. It was wonderful. I was just to say, I haven't touched the script in about since, since March. So it was really nice to come back to it and um, feel Fiona a little bit again. So thanks. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. If you want to continue the conversation with us, we've got all the socials that you would normally have. Our handles are at No Script Podcast. Check us out there. You can also email us at noscriptpodcast at gmail.com. We also would encourage you to recommend the podcast to your family and your friends, anybody you know that likes stories, theater, writing, conversations about how stories work and why they work. Send them our way. They can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, YouTube, anywhere else that you'd normally find podcasts as well as liking our Facebook page where a link to the new episode appears every Monday. Until next week, when Jackson will return for a conversation about another great script, I'm Jacob. And I'm Corey. 
Thanks, Corey, for joining us. We'll see you next week. Well, not you, Corey, but the audience. (laughs) Thank you so much. Bye-bye.